there is one more place where the wrath of God is revealed like no other. One more place when His justice and His righteousness is on display for all of eternity past and all of eternity still to come. And it's at the cross because on the cross God laid the iniquity and the horror of our sin upon His Son. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. On the first Sunday in January, we began a new series of studies in the New Testament book of Romans. And today we are continuing those studies, Romans chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, would you turn to Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16 to the end of the chapter at verse 32. You'll find it on page 1747 of the church Bible. Page 1747, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that, man are without, excuse me, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. As most of you know, on our first Sunday in January, we began Romans chapter 1 at verse 1, and over the last couple of weeks, we have covered the first section of chapter 1. And today, I want to go back a little and look at verses 16 and 17 before moving into the second part of chapter 2. And each Sunday morning here at First Presbyterian, we pause and take the main portion of our service to study God's Word together as we're eager to learn of Him, to grow in our faith. And we do that by learning from the Scriptures and then applying it to our lives. And this morning, as we come to the second part of chapter 1, I have to tell you, I come to it with great caution. Because it's not a passage that I particularly enjoy looking at. It deals with the wrath of God and the depravity of the human mind. And quite honestly, I'd rather just skip over it and let you go in 30 minutes time, encouraged and warm and feeling good. But as a pastor, I have no right to do that. I have to take a Sunday by Sunday into every section of the scriptures and ask, Father, what are you teaching us through your word? And so if you've been with us the last couple of Sundays when we focused on Paul writing to encourage the folks in Rome to grow in their faith, and last week we finished with him seeking to impart to them uh, and to strengthen them in their faith, and today we come to a section that is difficult to look at but nonetheless we've got to handle it and ask ourselves what is God saying through his word and so finishing at verse 16 last week I want you to pick up verses 16 and 17 before we get into 18 and the second part of the chapter and it begins with those wonderful words and many New Testament scholars, not just some, many have said that all that the Apostle Paul has to say in the subsequent or all of the 16 chapters of Romans is found summarized in verses 16 and 17, that the righteous shall live by faith. And so look at them with me. We finished last Sunday morning on the phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Now let me pause there for a second and try and make that accessible to you. When he says, in the gospel, or in the power of the gospel, that word power is the same word we use for dynamite. And what Paul is saying here, and what those first Roman readers would have got is this. Now what you're about to grasp, what I'm about to explain to you, is so powerful, it is explosive. That's the point he's making. And he's saying that in the gospel, the power of salvation comes forth because the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And the question, of course, is this. When Paul writes righteousness, when he uses that word, what on earth does he mean? 
Now, if you worship with us regularly, either here on a Sunday morning or watch us on television or listen on the internet, you will know this, that on a Sunday morning, I try to avoid Christian jargon because I think at times it's unhelpful. But when we come across biblical and theological terms, it is always good to ask, what was the original author's intent? What did Paul mean by using that word? And when he uses righteousness, this is what he means. He means God's moral glory. And he means this, the goodness, love, justice, holiness, purity of God is revealed in the gospel. That's the point he's making. In the gospel, that's where you find the purity and holiness and wonder and mercy and goodness of God. And that's the point he's saying. And what's more, he's saying this, that the holiness and purity and goodness and grace of God is so powerful in and of itself, it is able to change and transform us. That's what Paul is saying. Now let me hold all those thoughts for a moment and let's pack them up here. I'll come back to them in a minute. Because I want to take Paul's words a step further and try and illustrate to you through the life of an individual whom I'm hoping we can identify with. Now again, if you're with us regularly on a Sunday morning, you know that often I will take you down through the corridors of time and ask you to stand in the shadows and imagine a situation unfolding before us. And often we go into the biblical narrative doing exactly that, watching who says what to whom and why and looking at the impact of what's going on. But this morning, I don't want so much to take you back to the biblical narrative, although we will return to that, but I want to take you to the small town, a college town of Wittenberg in Germany to the 31st of October in 1517. Because on that day, Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, he tacked to the door of the church what we now know as his 95 Thesis. And his 95 Thesis had been birthed when Luther understood for the first time Romans 16 and 17 from chapter 1. Those were the verses that birthed the Reformation in the mind and heart and soul of Martin Luther. Luther had been brought up to believe that each time he sinned, he better take that sin to God and say, Father, forgive me for lying, forgive me for exaggerating, forgive me for stealing, forgive me for whatever the sin was. And as an adult in his mid-twenties, Luther really struggled with all of that. And in fact, his fellow monks got fed up with him because Luther would come for confession every day, several times a day. And his confession would last for three and four hours at a time. Because remember, his upbringing and his teaching was that I need to be forgiven for this sin, and unless I confess this one and this one and this one and this one. And Luther, even in the midst of his confession, would say, Brother Anthony, please forgive me for my sin of lying to Brother Thomas yesterday. I really didn't mean it. Well, actually, I didn't mean it. Please forgive me for actually meaning it, and forgive me for 
telling you I really didn't mean it. And it went on and on and on and on and on. And Luther was taught to deal with his sins like the chicken pox. Whenever one comes up, you put a little cream on it, and a little ointment, and another bit, and another piece, and another, and round his back, and down his back, and then on his hip, and on his knee, and on his feet. And he was dealing with them one at a time. And then things began to change. Luther was given a new mentor, a senior monk. And he said to him, Martin, let me encourage you to focus on the love and grace of God rather than his judgment for your sins. And Luther said this, and even though it's horrific, it was a breakthrough point for him, or at least it began his road to conversion. And it was this, love God, I hate him. I hate him. Because Luther was working, 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 working. If only he prayed properly. If only he confessed properly. If only he'd went to church enough. If only he was baptized again. And Luther was trying to work his way into heaven, which he could not do because these blessed spots kept showing up and he kept sinning. And when he realized that he had no love for God but hated him, started him thinking in a different way entirely. And at that point, he was made the professor of New Testament studies in a nearby college, and he started to read the New Testament for the first time. He understood the laws of the church. He understood the traditions of the church. He understood his heritage and all of that, but he had not sat down and worked his way through the scriptures themselves. And when he came to the book of Romans and he understood that in the gospel there is power to transform and renew and the righteous shall live by faith, that was a breakthrough point for him because he understood this, that all these spots coming out, individual sins, the problem was this not with the individual sins bad as they were, but the heart of the problem was the problem of the heart. And he needed a new nature. And he needed to be transformed from within. And he needed to become a new person who in fact loved his Savior. Who loved him. Who knew him. Whose peace of the gospel would overwhelm him and flow through him. And he needed to become a new person in Christ. And that's what the gospel brings. It is the power to change us, not a little, but utterly transforms us. That's what Luther discovered in reading Romans 16 and 17 of chapter 1. That the righteousness of God, the love, grace, goodness, mercy, and forgiveness of God is given to you when you trust Him. Not when you go to church. Not when you are baptized. Not when you take communion. Not when you seek forgiveness of sins. All of these things come later but it's the relationship first. And he had no relationship with the living God. He was going through one work after another, after another, trying to work his way into heaven. If only he could be good enough. 
and he could never be good enough because it's in the gospel where the power and transform, transformation takes place. And understand this, it's not what we have done that gets us into heaven, but what Christ has done on the cross. And that's what that verse means. In the gospel, there is a righteousness from God, God's holiness and His love and His grace and His goodness and His purity is seen in the cross. Now, hold that thought, and we'll come back to that one again. Now, having said all of that, he ends his first section. The righteous shall live by faith. And I promise we'll come back to it, pick up these thoughts as we finish this morning. But it's the second half of chapter 2 that leaves us feeling, oh, to say the least, dark, disconnected. It is not easy reading. It's not pleasant reading. And when you come to understand the depravity of humanity... It always leaves us feeling as if we need to be cleansed and refreshed and it is distasteful to say the least. Martin Luther understood it in his own life. He saw his own sin and he realized he could do nothing about it and he couldn't be forgiven for it and he could not work his way up into heaven. It was impossible. But when he came to understand that the power of God God for the salvation of anyone, for the transformation of anyone who believes, then the gospel is at work. That's what he is saying right here. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. That's the power of the gospel. And the passage says several times that the wrath of God is being revealed. In what way? It says that we know instinctively that there is a God. And Paul says we suppress it, quite deliberately suppress it. And where do we see it? Three places. Number one, we see it in the created order. You stand at the side of the Grand Canyon and you look out and you think, good night. How incredible is this? Is there a creator? Absolutely. And it pushes your mind in that direction. You walk out in a dark night and you see galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. And you think, just by chance or accident? I don't think so. In the created order, Paul says, in his divine power. And then he adds, in his invisible qualities. Now what does he mean by that? He means this. That in the heart and the mind and the conscience of each human being, God is at work. And we know instinctively that God exists. I see it when young fathers are given their first child. Moments old. Seen it more than once, he will take that child, look down at mum, look at his child, and weep joyfully. He has a little miracle. And it pushes his mind beyond all that he's experienced before to understand there is a creator God of love and grace and longs for us to know him. And we see it in the created order. And we see it in our innate ability for justice and goodness in our world. 
If you look at the footage of the Boston Marathon bombing, the emergency services dropped what they were doing and ran towards the danger. Athletes stopped, pedestrians stopped to help those who were injured without a second thought for themselves. We have within us an innate divine spark that talks of a creator, that there is much more than we have. And each of these in theological terms is known as general revelation. And then comes particular revelation in Christ. For the gospel came to call us to know him, to be transformed and renewed by him. And millions since Luther's time, millions before, understood this. That we cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot, because sin has such a hold of our lives that it deceives us into thinking that we're right and it darkens our minds until the gospel breaks through. I have lost count of the number of times I've had to go to my wife and say, Ruth, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Please forgive me. And what it's been is sin. Selfishness has captured my mind and captured my imagination and made me think I was right. And she will not tell me what to do. She will not tell me what I can say and what I can watch. Utter selfishness. And that is sin at its best, rebellion against God's gracious love and goodness and mercy towards us. That's what sin is. And Luther discovers here that when you step forward and say, Father, I cannot know you apart from your forgiveness. I cannot live this life on my own. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me. Then when we're willing to take a step of faith, then we understand the gospel. Because if God is revealing his wrath by taking his hands off, and that's what the passage says. It says God turned them over to their own wishes and said to them, if that's where you want to go, if you wish to treat me with disdain and contempt, I'm leaving you to it. And he steps back. But please understand this as I wrap it up this morning. And it's this. There is one more place where the wrath of God is revealed like no other. One more place when His justice and His righteousness is on display for all of eternity past and all of eternity still to come. And it's at the cross. Because on the cross, God laid the iniquity and the horror of our sin upon His Son. It's there at the cross where He walks away from His Son and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He left Him abandoned on His own to feel the horror of all sin. And His Father walked away from the Son and his son knew him no more. And there was a split took place within the love of God. 
And he was willing to die for our sins. That's how serious God takes sin. The depravity of humanity is all over our newspapers and our news media outlets. We see it in the scriptures. We know it to be true in our own lives. What will rescue us from this? And Luther points us to Paul, and Paul, of course, points us to Christ and says what? The righteous shall live by faith. And what does that mean? It means this. That when we step forward and say, Lord God, I cannot do this on my own. I hand over my life to you. I completely surrender every area and every aspect of my life. The hidden places of my heart and soul and mind. I give my entire life to you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me. Come and live within me. That's the breakthrough point. That's when we trust him. And then he transforms us and enables us and strengthens us and renews us. That's the heart of the gospel. And that's why Paul says, because in the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, who trusts, who surrenders to him. That's why the rest of Romans unpacks verses 16 and 17. And allow me please to close with this. As you leave this morning, leave understanding this. Prayerfully saying, Father, whatever comes my way this year, the blessings, the joy, the answered prayer, those moments of deep and intimate worship, along with the disappointments and the hurts and the sin that threatens to overwhelm me at times, and all that will challenge me to the very core of my being, bring me back again and again and again and again to the power of the gospel for from this day on we as your people shall live by faith and faith alone for in that faith is the righteousness and the power of God itself amen beloved amen let's pray together Father, please forgive us for the moments when we give in to selfishness and sin. Forgive us when we are distracted and deceived by that sin. Forgive us when we hold loosely the gospel. Father, help us please in all the days to come to live by faith and to live the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and died for us. Father, take us into this new week. Strengthen us, sustain us, enable us, please, to walk with you. Father, write upon our hearts the wonders of the gospel that the righteous, your children, shall live by faith. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. First Presbyterian Church's 37th Annual Turner Memorial Breakfast is Thursday, January 30th in the church gymnasium. Our speaker this year is L.A. Angels pitcher Michael Roth. A National Player of the Year while at the University of South Carolina, Michael led the Gamecocks to back-to-back -back College World Series championships in 2010 and 2011. A buffet breakfast begins at 6 a.m. and Michael Roth will take the stage at 7. Tickets are $10 and only available in advance. Contact First Presbyterian Greenville at 235-0496.